Welcome to Working Dog Radio. Broadcasting the bite. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you in part by the best training conference on the planet, Hits K9 Training and Conference, www.hitsk9.net, or call Jeff Barrett, 863-529-5113. We'll see you there. One of our other great sponsors, be sure to check them out, Ray Allen Manufacturing up in Colorado Springs, rayallen.com. Be sure to use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off. Spell it out, get the discount. Everyone knows Ted and I are huge fans of Dogtra. Uh, we use all their products, lots of stuff. Dogtra.com, use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over $200. All right, everybody loves drag and drop the easiest way possible. The easiest way to get a kennel up and running is to get them from Horizon Structures. Go to horizonstructures.com or call 1-888-447-4337. Make sure you tell them that Working Dog Radio sent you. There you go. One of our newest sponsors and one of our favorites, Kinetic Dog Food. Kineticdogfood.com or call 512-279-8966. Get your dog on the right track. One of our other fantastic sponsors that are run by the Heiser, some of the best people in the industry. We love those guys. Uh, looking for a reputable canine kennel with dog sales and training services? They're located in sunny New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine provides services worldwide from purchasing your next single or dual-purpose working dog to handler courses and seminars. Southern Coast is a great resource, so check them out. And where you can check them out is Southern Coast Canine. That's letter K, number 9.com, or give them a call, 877-903-DOGS. That's dogs. We get asked all the time what happens to all the working dogs once they retire. If the dogs are lucky, they get to retire with their handler. Sometimes those dogs are expensive in their retirement due to health issues sustained from injuries on the job or old age in general. That's a heavy burden for a lot of the handlers. Enter organizations like the Georgia Police Canine Foundation. These great folks assist law enforcement agencies with life-saving supplies and equipment for our canine officers and help provide assistance for them in their retirements. It can be hard finding an organization with dogs' best interests at heart, but we strongly encourage you to check out Georgia Police Canine Foundation. Great people doing great work. All right, guys, welcome back to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Another great episode uh, coming your way amid the uh, global pandemic of the coronavirus. Uh, as usual, from Canton, Ohio, I am Eric Stambro. With me, as always, from Tulsa, Oklahoma, is uh, my co-host, Ted Summers. Ted, how's it going out there? Is the wind blowing the virus around? <laughs> it's raining. Uh, I had a handler school start today and uh, with uh, a retread, a dog I train. The dog's name is Riddick. It's a big-ass, gnarly German Shepherd. He's got a good handler. Uh, he's a good kid. Uh, I think he's going to be good, but he's a little shell-shocked because Riddick's kind of intense. <laughs> so... Uh, and then I got a kid in from uh, Kansas who handles a dog named Zaki. Uh, really good dog. He's down for research. Um, so he's with me for like three or four days, and then we'll send him back. But super productive team already. Several street bites. Um, just down to hang out and do some training. And then we've got a bunch of green dogs we're working through. Uh, we had um, a dude send me four, three, sorry, three German Shepherds the other day um, that turned out to be pretty nice. That They just kind of showed up, and I'm like, yeah, okay. So uh, they ain't bad. We're getting, so Travis and Scott and I are working them. But what do you got going on? Well, um, I, I had a, 
I've had a pretty busy February and beginning of March. I uh, sold a bunch of dogs. Um, several of them are going to be in an upcoming class. It's supposed to start March 30th uh, at Canton, um, and I offered to help uh, the trainer Chris. You know, took, you know Chris who took my place. This will be his first big dual-purpose class. There's six dogs in it. Um, three of them came from me, and um, or maybe four. I have to think. And the other one is a retread. Uh, unfortunately, since the last episode came out, we had a handler uh, from a small agency that used to train with commit suicide. And um, yeah. his dog, uh, Bronco, stayed in the, in the program, and they got a new handler. So that guy's going to be in the class. Um, a dog, backs that I had for a while, he's in it. Uh, a dog named Jack and a dog named Conan. So, yeah, I do have, I have several in there. Uh, but that just got postponed today uh, because of the coronavirus. It got postponed till I don't know when, sometime maybe mid, late end of April. It, you know, no one knows. We don't know how this is going to play out. So that's yeah. that's what I got going on. I'm trying to empty out the kennel before. Well, you have no choice. I mean, I could try to find dogs in the United States, but there's I probably got I went to the airport Thursday and got a dog out of Europe. Probably the last dog to fly out of Europe the uh, afternoon flight so. <laughs> it was probably the last dog out of europe that, yeah for I, a while for yeah. you know till the end of you know like uh end of April, my vendors over there in europe said you know oh well, they have no choice there's no there's no international flight so until that gets lifted um i'm gonna empty out the kennel because i got some there's some hrd stuff lining up uh, in april but who knows we don't we don't know what's gonna happen so yeah as of at. now um, we will still be going to uh, <clears throat> Indiana in two weeks for the decoy thing, uh, just outside of Indiana. Dale, Indiana, to do the uh, HRD decoy course to get those guys set up because we go back there in uh, June to the same group, and those decoys are then going to decoy for us at HRD. So bringing it full circle. So um, as of now, I'm still going. So we'll see. Today is the 16th. So <laughs> who knows? Uh, they have, uh, it could get weird. But uh, yeah, so everybody stay safe. The cool thing about a podcast is you don't got to leave to listen to it. <laughs> you can just stay home, stay in your car, whatever. Uh, so what do we got going on today? Uh, this is going to be good, man. Um, so this, our, our guest today um, has only told this story a couple of times. Um, the incident is probably well known to some folks, but the, the story hasn't been told mainly because being the quiet professional until some things on this incident came to court, uh, no, nobody knew the details and he, they kept it to themselves until, um, you know, until everything was released in court papers and then they did, you know, interviews. But um, our guest today is, and we'll get into, I'm just going to tell you who he is and we'll go through the thing and then we'll get into why his story is so amazing. Um, and it's our, our friend, Michael Toussaint. Mike, how are you, Ben? Good. Thanks for having me on here. I really appreciate it. Yeah. No, Thanks. we... Uh, Sitting down in wonderful Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> yeah, just burning to the ground. Well, the wonderful is, a very sub wonderful is a very subjective term right now. <laughs> uh, yes. I'm not a fan of that city at all. So, um, anyways, it's... Yeah, you're about... Uh, Three hours from me. Um, I go there every once. Actually, I have a just got a couple dogs from a lady in Cincinnati. Um, well, we'll definitely have to link up sometime. 
They got a good dog down there. Yeah. Donnie. Yeah, Donnie does a good job, sure. man. Donnie, Cincinnati PD, they do a good job. Faux show. Yeah, their our HRD event down there went really well. No, I was gonna say I've met a couple of local canine guys already, and you know a couple out of Cincinnati, so they do have some some pretty solid guys down here that I've met so far. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, they're good dudes. So let's get into a uh, let's like our normal thing. Uh, we'll go a little bit of your background um, and kind of what led us up to today. We'll get into your story a little bit later on in the you know the, the incident story later on, but um, let's talk about like your military career and your dog life. Yeah, I, I was born in uh, San Antonio, raised in Austin, Texas. So uh, Texas pretty much my whole chosen uh, life as far as where I was at. But I, I joined the Navy right at 18, going into 19, turned 19 in boot camp. So, you know, I didn't complete high school. So I, I ironically, I wanted to be a Marine. But at that time, you had to have a, a GED to become a Marine. So they pointed across the recruiting station to the sailors over there. So those guys could probably take you. So I walked over there and I, I scored <laughs> high enough on the ASVAB and uh, became a sailor. You know, of course, I got a little bit of an education since, but uh, that was my my story going in. And that was uh, right during the Desert Storm, Desert Shield uh, era. Yeah, I came out of boot camp and went to A school for aviation boatswain's mate uh, equipment, which was the launching recovery of aircraft. So I came out of boot camp, went to that school, and then got to the USS Saratoga and went on a eight and a half month deployment during Desert uh, Shield and Storm. So that's what I did my first four years in the Navy. Did you realize that you I'm didn't sorry, like being on a ship or did you like ship life? Uh, I mean, I really didn't care too much for the ship life. However, I enjoyed the the camaraderie with the division I was working in because we, we worked pretty hard in there. I mean, the V2 division on the carrier, you know, it was no joke. And, I, and I, I'd, I'd not as scared of hard work. So I, I liked that part of it, but... Um, I really didn't think I was going to be a career sailor at all, you know, but, you know, life happens. And I went to shore command and uh, saw a dog demonstration, you know, shortly after getting there and and realized that that's exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, at that time to be a a master at arms, you know, you had to be E5 or above, you know, and while I was there, I made E5 and I had done my time and spent all my free time with the dog handlers and, and got the recommendations. So I went from right from there to MA school and dog school at the beginning of 97. Now, back then in 97, where were they doing the uh, dog school at? It was it's the same place. It was in Lackland, San Antonio. Lackland. Yep. I'm sure you were happy to be back in Texas. Yeah, I sure was. I sure was. You know, it, you know it, I never knew that it would take me back to Texas as many times. That was a good part of, the, I guess, my almost 22-year career. That I did, I did get to go back to Texas a lot of it. So what what is um, MA Dog School like uh, at Lackland? Well, it's actually looking back and knowing what I know now. I mean, it's actually a pretty good school. You know, I mean, it, it really is from from start to finish. You know, not cutting any corners. You know, it, they had you go through a lot of measures before you even put your hands on a dog. You know, some that got scrutinized later you know, in life as I found, but, you know, things that I, I found value in, um, you know, like when you first got there day one, you know, they put you with a leash onto an ammo can, you know, and before they let you even touch a dog, they made sure you could even manipulate the leash in some kind of proper fashion, you know, and apply a correction, you know, and then we transferred from that to a fence and we were all correcting the fence, you know, as, you know, people now look at it and think you're being hazed, but, you know, there was a, there's an actual real, beneficial reason for doing those things and so that's how it started 
um, did the patrol side first and then went to the other side, which is two sides, Medina and then Lackland and to the main base Lackland and did the detection on the main base side. So it was a 12 week uh, handler's course. Did it, um, was it kind of like an overwhelming amount of information or did you find it to be pretty smooth for you? Well, I mean, it's, it's, as smooth as a green handler could be. I mean, we've all been there, I guess, you know, and, you know, you always know the new guy that, you know, that may think that it's smooth, but we all can pick him out of crowd, you know, but, you know, looking back, you know, I, I, I was comfortable in that environment, you know, and uh, I mean, of course I made countless mistakes, but I, I remember most memorable part of that was day one, we walked in the patrol side, they sized up the, the instructors sized up the class and they said, Oh, they looked at me and said, Oh, he's going to get hero, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, what, what does that mean? And I found out hero was this ass eating shepherd that they had taken from Panama that just really <laughs> didn't get along with people, you know? And so that's was my first introduction was getting the dog, but even the instructors didn't want to touch, you know, and, and him and I, you know, and him and I bonded and, and it was, and it was great, you know? So I learned a lot really earlier on with this, this pretty rough around the edges dog. So that's an interesting story. Um, I, a lot of the guys that we interview that are in these positions that have similar stories to what we're about to hear always end up that everybody has the common theme. Uh, we just interviewed a Marine um, handler, um, <clears throat> Dowling, and he's the same thing. They, they had a dog that was just an absolute fucking ass eater. And they were like, oh, let's give this thing. Like he shows up at the kennel out on the West Coast, and they're like, here's your dog, bro. And they tried to bite him the first day, and he was like, fuck, what did I get myself into? And, uh, you know, it always turns out that uh, it seems like everybody, like all you guys have the same story or not a very similar story to start out. I was like, oh, fuck, they gave me this dog. And it's always never like the new one that like everybody wants and's like, nope, that's the one you get, dude. Like, <laughs> you get that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the one that got, the one that got in a big kennel with a big, you know, metal mask on, the Hannibal Lecter looking dog in the back. But, yeah, that's, that's me. That's yeah, I get. exactly. So, um, you went through, uh, how long did it take before you and Hero bonded <laughs> and uh, where he, uh, he, he, he was fairly easy to handle? <laughs> you know, I, you know, because you got to remember, take into consideration, you know, this is my first time officially touching right. a dog, you know, so, you know, it was, it was very, you know, I think what saved me was I was so naive to really how bad that dog could have fucked me up, you know. Yeah, because I, right. I just didn't, I wasn't fearful at all, you know, knowing that now that's probably what saved me. You know, I was just being natural with this dog in there, and I didn't fear him probably like I would have if I'd have known better, you know? So, <laughs> you know, so it, it took us, if I remember correctly, it was a good, probably a full week, you know, before we, you know, there was just no no doubt a great bond to where, you know, if I was going to take a break, nobody would touch the dog. I'd have to go, you know, time off on a tree because nobody was going to hold him. You know, oh, was, yeah. but yeah, it was, he was that kind of dog and he was, he was awesome. You finished school and you go back, uh, and you were stationed where, Guam. Yep. so you do the Guam MA from 97 thing. to 2000. Awesome. So you do the MA thing for uh, a while for, with, um, hero. Um, and then you come back and you go to, you come back to Lackland, correct? Well, no, I, I, Hero was the dog I was assigned in patrol aspect at Lackland. He was a dog oh, okay. that was there just to be a trainer. So I actually only stayed with Hero through the patrol side. And then once we finished patrol, we went over the cross to the main, main base on Lackland and I went through detection. Um, gotcha. So those dogs there were, were dogs we got to go through school with and take, you know, to go on to the rest of our career with. It was just a training dog. 
Cool. So when you uh, end up in Guam, uh, who are you handling there? <laughs> That's another <laughs> funny story. I get to Guam, and here I am, the guy just out of dog school, you know, and the handlers meet me, and and they're like, hey, you know, it's late at night by the time I get there. And they're like, you know, if you just want to come in in the morning, we'll take you to the kennel. I'm like, no, fuck that. I want to go meet my dog. And so they kind of look at each other, and I'm like, what's going on here? You know, and then they get to the kennel, and they, they walk me in. And I walk up and I watch, walk up to this dog and he's staring at the freaking wall. And they're like, this is your dog, Ducky. You know, and I'm like, I mean, he's like, looks at me, looks back at the wall. I said, well, what is wrong with that dog? And they're like, well, the handler just got kicked out of the Navy for, you know, mistreating him. So the, the, the vet's got him on all kinds of medications and all kinds of stuff. And all, by the way, he's decertified in everything. Um, <laughs> welcome, welcome to Guam. You so know? you get another one. You get another problem child. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, I sure did. And, and I mean, I can tell you that I think that was probably the, the most memorable, important tour that I had as far as dogs go. I mean, me and this dog, we spent three years together. And by the time I left, you know, he was certified in high levels of patrol and detection, also the only tracking dog on the island. So, I mean, it was a lot of trial and error because back in 97, all we learned how to do was to kick a dog's ass and do what we wanted them to do. You know, you know, positive reinforcement, all these things that we, you know, now that are, you know, very smart to use in the right, you know, settings and times. You know, we didn't know that. I didn't know that. Right. You know, so he was very, he was very forgiving. You know, as I made my mistakes trying to, to, to get him where, you know, he needed to be, and and you know, he taught me a lot. Where do we go after that? I go to Ingleside. Well, I, the the funny thing about that tour for me was. You know, I was on the phone with the detailers and, you know, I, I did not want to drop leash. You know, I, 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 the last thing I wanted to do is drop leash. And at that time, depending on what detail you had, you know, some of them felt that, you know, you needed to drop leash and you need to go to sea to get these warfare pins. Oh, you're never going to advance in your career and all that. And, and I told him I didn't really care about all the warfare pins or, you know, making rank. I just wanted to be a dog handler. And um, he goes, well, we've got a, a investigations position open there. And they've got a dog handler rotating after that, so I won't backfill it in such a small base that you'll be able to do both. And this is a detailer telling me all this. So I was like, well, as long as I get to, you know, stay working with a dog, I'll take it. And so I went from there to Army CID school, um, then to Ingleside. And when I got there, they did only have one dog, and I was learning the investigation side of stuff. And uh, I started communicating with Lackland and establishing some good networking with them, and I got us another dog, and then 9-11 happens, you know, so, you know, we all know that changes everybody's life at that moment. Yeah. So I built the bomb program because at that time when I got there, they didn't have a bomb a dog a program at all. They would go to corporate security just to use their kit for training. So I developed and procured a, a bomb, uh, SOPs and, and everything, got the, the, the kit, got the dog certified, got a, an additional dog from Lackland, just built up. Ingleside's assets, and uh, I was there for almost four years, and then uh, I, I left there and went to Byran as a kennel master from 2004 to 2006. You know, it's interesting, after 9-11, um, the guy we had Dowling on, and he talked about going over there to Iraq, and as a Marine with the dog handler, and he shows up in his commanding officer's office, and he's like, I'm here. He was like, and? He's like, I'm just a dog <laughs> handler, you know, and he was like, and it was so weird to me because the guy asked him, he says, hey, can your dog find bombs? And I'm like, 
wait a minute. You mean he didn't know that, like, he's like, no, man, they had no idea, and it was crazy. So I guess in, in one rotation, like, they, the, the Marines were like, well, shit, well, we got these motherfuckers, these, these dogs can find bombs, they can find people, we need more of these. And it went from zero to hero really, really fast. And uh, he said it was an interesting time, but it was it's so weird to, to hear that now. I mean, we're in 2020, and I can't imagine, and a lot of guys in special operations, I don't think, can imagine not having a dog um, on a team, either for human or explosive odor. And, like, I, I mean, most of the time, like, guys, now it's just kind of a second nature thing. But he was talking about the first time he went out in Iraq, and it was like, <laughs> he was like, can I send the dog? They're like, yeah, fuck it, send him. <laughs> and, I mean, they had no idea what the fuck's going on. They're like, sure, why not? <laughs> so it's super weird to hear, like, and you developed the bomb program while you were over there or helped them do it because they had no SOP, no training aids, no nothing. So right. um, after that, when at what point do you come back to the U.S. to do some of the Kindle Master stuff at Lackland? Well, well, I, I spent the two years in, in, in Byran, and just to clarify, Byran had a bomb program. It was Ingleside that didn't. You know, oh, the Byron okay. had it was it was it was the biggest kennel, the operational kennel in the Navy, and it probably still is. Um, and that's all their their whole mission was was explosive detection. You know, and that was pretty much their only existence means for existence out there was for, just for that. You had twenty twenty two dogs, twenty three dogs out there that were all, you know, straight detectors. Right. Know, had, some a lot of them had dual purpose capabilities, but there was no no need for that out there, so they didn't certify them as in patrol. Um, but it, it had a share of problems when I got there for sure. Um, they had just lost some C4 right prior to me getting there during oh. some training events and uh, yeah, in the middle East. And you can imagine what kind of a shit fallout there was from that. <laughs> yeah. So, so I walked into another shit show and, um, and then that was another great tour. I mean, it just, it just developed into being, you know, the stat inspection. We got the number one kill in the Navy, you know, well, I was there, and I mean, it just because I had a great group of handlers, and we, we really went and achieved a lot, you know. So I left there in 06 and came back to Lackland, um, and I made senior chief right when I got to Lackland. So they moved me from the Lackland side over to the 341st to uh, um, kind of become the superintendent over there of the, the squadron, which is in charge of the handlers course, the dog training, I mean, everything that all dog guys from the military have gone through uh, working for the Air Force for a short period of time. As you're um, either in Bahrain or um, back at Lackland, was there a single dog that stuck out for you, um, either for patrol stuff or for detection stuff, that was extremely successful? Uh, oh, well, I mean, there's a bunch of dogs that stand out. Um, there's so many great dogs out there because it was such an arduous environment. I mean, it was with the heat. And and then when these dogs were always working, you know, in, in, in crappy, crappy environments as far as, I mean, the sand would burn their paws and, and, and everything. And we do a lot of deployments. So for me to call any one of them out, I mean, I can just put on a list of names. Um, but to answer your question, I, I, there's not one that I could say just stood out above the others. You know, there's just, there's a lot of good ones. So by this point in 06, you've done... Um I know your time in Bahrain was mostly, you know, detection stuff, but you had done tracking patrol and, um, and the detection did, what, what did you like the most? You know, like Ted doesn't, he's not as much into tracking as his business partner is. I'm really into tracking. You know, I kind of, it's one of my favorite things. What, what was your niche that you really liked? Patrol, decoying, 
Yes. Uh, patrol was <laughs> always my thing. I mean, I mean, I loved, I loved every aspect of patrol. I loved the intimacy of, of being a decoy. And really, to me, that's when you really get to know when that dog, you know, what it's made of, you know, and it just it becomes very, very pure interaction, you know, so I, I liked decoying. So in that's the awesome. rain, were you sneaking it? Did you have to, did you have to? Oh, no, we were absolutely doing it. it. We were doing spot. a lot of it. And I was, no, no. I mean, we were, I was openly, overtly doing it. You know, I mean, I was, had a, a bunch of very young handlers and a lot of first time handlers. And so I felt that it was my duty to get them prepared as much as I could for everything. Cause you know, it was a short tour, you know, they were going to go out to the, to the rest of the fleet and I wanted to prepare them. Plus I just loved doing it. So we had a lot of dogs that were really good patrol dogs that we, we kept them proficient, you know, and it, just even though we didn't certify them in it, you know, so, you know, absolutely was a very, uh, big part of it there as well that's awesome uh, that's ted and i that's we we love decoying we love doing the bite work um i'm real uh i just got in the suit today and did some bite work for dogs i uh i definitely love it um it is probably you know my my favorite I, i'm so passionate about it because you know obviously explosive detection will um save lives but when it comes to the work of the police canine um, that we train in, in the military canine stuff, I, I'm all about the patrol side of it. Uh, I think it's uh, – there's there's a lot of a lot of trainers that don't agree. They think, oh, you know, you just get in trouble, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, nope. Um, <laughs> his nose sniffing for narcotics will not save my life. But, nope. uh, no, but, his, but the patrol side of it definitely will. For me, kicking ass <laughs> definitely will. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I mean – I think anybody that's worked with a dog in, in a combat or, a, or even in the urban environment where, you know, the dog's patrol capabilities has become a make or break point would not argue that at all. I mean, that's why you talk to most of the special operations guys, they want the dog around, you know, the dog saved oh, yeah. most everybody's life, you know, at one point, if not more than once, you know? Oh yeah. Without a doubt. So at this point, um, when you get back to Lackland, had you heard about um, dogs going over to uh, Devgru and some of the other um, Tier 1 units? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. that even come across your wire? Absolutely. I mean, it, and I've been talking to the, the pers- a couple people that were at Damnick, you know, all pretty much from mid-04 on, you know, staying in touch with them. Um, at that time when I was talking to him, I didn't know there was a, I thought, I figured I was too senior in rank, you know, and uh, there's no way that I'd get the opportunity to, I mean, I, which I was very envious of some of the, I, I worked with a couple of the handlers that had and were, were going there. And I was, I, I'm not gonna lie. I was extremely envious because, you know, that was clearly something I, I always wanted to get the opportunity to go do, but I, I, in talking to, uh, the kennel master that was there, you know, he started, you know, hinting around that, you know, there might be a need for a kennel master, you know, to replace him. Um, so that's where we actually started talking about it um, well before I left Byron. When do you decide that we're going to go to head over to that program and try and try out for it? We, we interviewed Benny um, and kind of okay. heard the, the process right. of how going through like that process. But for people that haven't heard um, that kind of talk a little bit about how um, the selection process happens, what that process is like going from, effectively normal mainline MA stuff to the other side, the smaller unit, the tier one guys. 
so if you talk to Benny, I mean, I haven't heard the, the thing, but Benny and I, you know, Benny was, his first duty station was in Byran. I was his, his channel master in Byran. So, I mean, it, that was one of the people I was referring to about being envious. But uh, so uh-huh. him and I are actually really close friends to this day. And, um, but so I had been talking to them and I made senior chief right when I got to Lackland and they were saying, you know, we'd like to bring you up here, you know, and screen you and see if you screen positive, which, you know, I, I later learned, you know, screen positive means they want you and you've passed the, the psychological and, and the physical requirements. So I left Lackland, um, only after being there for eight months to a year. And I went and screened with dev group, which means you go there for two weeks and they put you through the ringers and, and physically, and you take lots of psychological tests and you get interviewed by psychologists. And what I later learned after, you know, making it and being there was you're being, you're being evaluated from the second that you step onto that compound, you know, even though it isn't, it's not formally, you know, you're not always, you know, taking a test or, you know, doing PT or, or whatever, but you're, you're always being judged and, and tested. Um, so there's two weeks of that, you know, the, the physical requirement, the psychological requirement, and then you leave after you, you have your final interview and they tell you, well, we'll give you a call. We'll let you know if it's a thumbs up or thumbs down. And so you leave there not knowing at all, you know? And so I think it was a couple of days after I left, I got a phone call back and was told that I screened positive. And once that happens, you know, their detailers, just snatch you up. They get in there and they start making it happen. Um, so I abruptly left Lackland and I showed up back at the command. And then once you make it back to the command, you're not golden. You have to make it through the really, really rough training, you know, and, and, and this is a course that um, was definitely beyond any physical, mental, any training that, you know, somebody like me had gone through. And I prided myself on being in pretty good shape, you know, but this had nothing to do with, not everything to do with uh, your physical, you know, capabilities. Um, so, yeah, you go through a course that's a few months long, and once you make it through that, then you've really been accepted to the command. All right, we're going to take a break real quick. Uh, we come back. Uh, we'll pick back up with Mike and talk about uh, uh, the dog unit. You finally get hooked up with Remco. Um, and we'll go on to the rest of the story from there. So, and don't fast forward through these commercials, everybody. So just listen to them. You're not doing anything. You're waiting on the coronavirus to go away anyway. So we'll be back in just a second. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. We're going to take a break real quick, uh, and we're going to pay some bills, and we're going to address some of our fantastic sponsors. Hits Canine Training Conference is going to be the first one. This is America's premier canine training sp- seminar packed to the brim with some of the world's best instructors and Eric and I. You know, we're going to be teaching the scenario-based training seminar uh, that revolves around the HRD company that we also have. And, uh, you know, we're going to do the whole dog and pony show. Eric's going to tell us jokes, and I'm going to talk about case law. There are going to be other instructors that are going to be covering great topics from case law to admin to bite work to detection to tracking, everything in between for all working dogs. There's no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, and trainers. Hits 2020 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona this year from August 18th to the 21st to hurry up and register. And I know all of you listening, wait to the last damn minute to to register. Don't do that because the price goes up. Go to hits canine, that's letter K number nine dot net, or call Jeff Barrett at 863-529-5113. Make sure you get signed up. Come to Scottsdale. I hear the hotel has a wave pool that you can surf in. So uh, I'm bringing my board shorts. 
And Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing, it's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine Equipment. We use their products every single day. Their mission statement says it all, to be a world leader in quality and innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport to exceed our customers' expectations and delivery on time, every time, at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held true to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything dog. One of the longtime sponsors of Working Dog Radio from the beginning has been Highland Canine in North Carolina. Tactical Police Canine, a.k.a. Highland Canine in North Carolina, offers training, seminars, and consulting globally for police, military, and non-government agencies. They provide customized training programs to address specific problems and meet the needs of your organization. Check out their wide array of handler courses, instructor courses, supervisor courses, and online courses at Tactical Police caninetraining.com uh, Jason and Aaron Ferguson are two of our most favorite people and they have been with us since the beginning so hit them up we get it fueling a working dog can be tough but they need that high quality food to give them the energy and nutrients that they require for the work we ask them to do kinetic dog food has a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working and sporting dogs they have a full line of foods and supplements available and they've been working to perfect their line with thousands of dogs in hundreds of departments across the U.S. And you can buy it locally, online, or at Tractor Supply. Okay. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with the one and only Dogtra. These guys are producing some amazing tools in the dog training world. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball training, bark collars. If it's electronic, Dogtra is the best. They are truly revolutionizing the way you communicate with your dog. Plus, they give us a great discount code. Go to dogtra.com. Everybody hears me say all the time, you can't teach dogs to bite people and act shocked when they do. Inevitably, I get bit. You've all heard me talk about how I get tagged and being tagged by a dog sucks. So I've used quick term <laughs> to help myself, uh, but before... I had to go to the doctor's office. Uh, it, it definitely helped keep down infection and everything else. And I've had some uh, non-scarring because of it too, so it's pretty good. But it's no exaggeration. The stuff is great. Once daily treatment for any skin condition on small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big ones that your admins are sure to love. It comes in a spray. It comes in an ointment. It comes in a dressing. Quick Term is great at creating protective barrier and promoting wound healing. There's no reason not to have a bottle of this in the patrol car, or your kennel, or your first aid cabinet. Plus, it's... it's uh, temperature stable so you can keep it in the patrol car when it's cold when it's hot whenever and it'll still be good make sure you hit them up at vetcare.us and use the discount code 10wdr for a discount on your first purchase which is going to be 10 percent. have you ever dreamed of having your own kennel but don't know where to start horizon structures has taken all of the guesswork out of building a kennel Everything is pre-built to your specifications and preferences and then assembled and dropped off at your land. Boom, new kennels. And these things are amazing. You've got to see them to truly believe them. Their website, horizonstructures.com, is a one-stop shop. Build your best kennel, your favorite things you want. Check it out, horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody, we are back from the break. If you're listening to this on Patreon, you know it's commercial free um, but all of the uh, discount codes are below at the bottom 
and uh, we'll have our guests, um, social media stuff and everything on there as well. So we're back with uh, Mike Toussaint, who at this point uh, in the process has was, um, I, I found it interesting, you said screen positive. That's probably the only time screen positive is actually good. Um, <laughs> you know, I've never thought of it like that, but you're probably right. <laughs> right. <laughs> for, for some sort of disease of some sort. Um, nothing good, but uh, so they send you through the their uh, program to get you up to speed. It's a few months. Now let me ask you this: prior to this, coming from Texas, were you a gun guy? Were you a shooter prior to getting in that course? Well, I, I can tell you this if I'm being honest. I thought I was a gun guy because I was also a cop by then. You know, <laughs> I'd been the uh, I'd also been a you know reserve police officer in the state of Texas since 2002, after having gone to the police academy, and I I thought I was a gun guy, but I learned uh, pretty quickly that, you know, I absolutely was not, you know, very humbly. <laughs> so what, um, so when you get with them and you, what, what is your, um, your personal loadout for deployment, um, uh, arms wise? I, uh, I had a few guns, but I had H and K 416 and MP7 were my main rifles that I, I like to roll with because you know it's a lot of gear you know and you're doing a lot of a lot of humping around and you're out with a lot of guys that are probably better shots than you and they're probably going to be the ones taking the shots anyways because you're working your dog so i didn't need a long you know long range weapon i just needed some close quarter stuff so i mainly carried my mp7 there's a couple times i took the 416 out and we always had a sidearm on us um but I wasn't too much worried about that thing. MP7 was my preferred one. Yeah, uh, I never, I never got to shoot an MP7. I've heard people love it that, that used it. Oh God! Um, yeah, it was a nice little system. What? Ferocious Colorado for sure. Before we get into the dog stuff, what was your biggest flaw that you that they were able to show you on your pistol shooting, compared to what you were doing like at the police life? Well. You know, it, it, for, for those older guys, you know, we all heard the, the Weaver, you know, the modified Weaver stance and all those other things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that, it, it, to me, now looking back, that equates to target shooting, you know. And, and, and so to go learn the difference between, you know, combat shooting and target shooting, you know, it, 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 was, it was just me transitioning, you know, and throwing out all the things that I had learned for those many years into a whole new way of, you know, operating with the weapon effectively, you know, you know, fluidly. Uh, that was probably the hardest part because I think that I just kept reverting back to bad muscle memory. Um, and through repetition and some, a lot of tire pulls and a lot of tree climbs and a lot of things uh, that I had to do because of my mistakes, you know, it started clicking. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, you, they, they give you the badass MP7 suppressed and it's nice and short. So you're not whacking the dog in the head the entire time as you're running around. Um, so, um, tell us about the first time you met Remco. What was that? What was the, <laughs> what was the interaction like? Yeah, well, I mean, you're probably caught on by now. Like every one of these time you ask me about the first time I met one of my dogs, it's always got some funny stories. Um, this one's no different. <laughs> um, they had, they had a, given me a dog initially cause we went from, once we get through the training, I got assigned to a squadron and went to a special operations uh, handlers course. Um, they sent me with a dog that, I mean, we all know dogs here. I mean, this dog, everyone's got an environmental challenge that you don't know until it's too late. 
kind of thing. Right. Well, this dog was was a badass, you know, in every area except for the fact that he didn't want to put a muzzle on him um, oh. at all. So, I mean, and they were trying, as I found out while I was going through the my required training with the command to get this dog to be comfortable in a muzzle, and they were not successful. And they had a lot of talent there, that command, you know. And uh, so they send me off on a plane, and we take off shortly after you know, getting through the the course that we were talking about before um, with this dog and thinking that I'll be able to fix it. But, you know, I know they damn well, but there's no fixing that. Um, we go and get to this uh, place where we have this training at, and the instructors come out, and they're trying to get this dog in a muzzle, and they try for like half a day and say, okay, fuck that. You know, this dog's not going to work out. I mean, he was just, the dog melted. I mean, he just couldn't get past. He was so stressed. Clearly, he had had some bad experiences prior. But um, so they washed that dog out. And as that was going on, they had some of our guys out in Holland, you know, with some of the, the vendors, you know, and they had found Remco and sent him directly to me at this course. So in the middle of one of the first couple of weeks of this course is when Remco gets shipped to me. And so, you know, who we meet each other. He gets off the plane. He's got some bad set of worms. I mean, he's he's sick as could be, and I mean, it just it was pathetic at first, you know, because he just you know he was, you know, straight from Holland and he's sick, and we're trying to get him to do all these things right away, and so we had to get him medically taken care of before we could actually get to know each other. But uh, yeah, night one he tore up the inside of my hotel room, had crap thrown everywhere. I mean, he he was a very very high drive. You know, we all know mouths when their eyes gloss over that look. You know, he would do that if you rattle, if you watered the water bottle. You know, we rattle a water bottle too much around him, and that, that would happen, and it was on. So there's a lot of that going on in the hotel room as we were trying to learn each other. Um, and for him to get medically cleared to start really going through some training. And so we spent a few months in the course together. And by the time I got out of that, he was, he was, he was coming along good. So, how, so they shipped him to your green. So he, you show up at this... Um special operations dog handler course with a green dog. How, exactly. uh, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> what, what's that like? Cause I can, I mean, Eric and I both train green dogs and green handlers and train, you know, green so dog. that's why you're laughing. That's why you're laughing. I'm laughing. Cause you know what that was like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we know exactly what that was like, you know? So, uh, it's just like going back to hero and ducky. I mean, you know, I get the challenging ones, you know, from the beginning. And I mean, I was at a no, I was no fail mission for me mentally. I mean, no matter what, this was going to work, you know? Right. So, um, and it did, it was just, it was, it, it just was not one day that it was easy. You know, it wasn't one day that there wasn't something that I was stressing on, you know, trying to work on with them. And, and cause you know, we both were on the way to the big show, you know, and we both needed right. to be able to perform. So I was, you know, I was high drive worried about, you know, us, becoming that asset not the liability so the instructors at the program and the command guys um i like you said and i i think that evaluation probably never stops when i talk to guys from that group um your evaluation never actually really stops ever ever ever. never ever (laughs) so you're yeah you're constantly being evaluated so um they're like fuck this motherfucker got a green dog two weeks into the school and he's still going to be able to finish um, so I'm kind of under the impression that that was pretty impressive to a lot of those people. Cause I know some of those guys over there and there, uh, there's some damn good fucking dog trainers over there and they have some yep. nice dogs and 
for you to do that was probably a pretty uh, was probably a pretty rare occurrence, I would imagine. Well, you know, looking back, I've never really thought of the way you just put it, but you know, I had I had a really good team leader um, that flew out uh, while I was at that course. I guess I mean I know now. I mean, he came out to get his eyes on me and right. get his eyes on the dog and 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 make a decision. He's, I mean, that's what he's doing. So he came out and spent a, you know this the latter part of the the handlers course, and he hung out with us for four or five days and got to watch us work and and then knowing what I know now, I mean he went back and was was perfectly comfortable with the fact that we were gonna be able to make it and be an asset. So I mean, he came out to evaluate me to, to either say that they're gonna shit can me and the dog or not. So that's probably basically what happened. Um, and excellent. I mean I had I had uh I had the great fortune of getting to in my opinion attached to the assigned to the right squadron with the right people in place and this all fell together. You know, in every, in every aspect, everything just kind of worked itself out. Awesome. So, um, like when we had Benny on, uh, Benny's name, nickname was the dog guy. He was just Benny the dog guy. Um, <laughs> so what was yours? I got a bunch of them, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean there's several, you know, I got called all kind of crap. Um, Mr. Clean was, a, was I don't know how I just got have a bald and fat and got a bald head. I don't know. But, um <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, you know, dog guy was a common thing because it was always get the dog, the fucking dog up here, you know, dog guy, you know, that's what you hear on the radio because, you know, radio is not, chatter is not uh, in abundance, you know, in that community. I mean, if you, you don't talk unless it's fucking, you know, you have to on that radio. Unless something needs to be said. But you'd hear, you, you would hear, oh yeah, it better be, it better be important, you know, you know all you'd hear is dog, need dog, you know, in, in the coordinates or wherever the assignment was, where they're at, you know, and so that's why the dog guy stuff kind of just makes sense so but in in joking like when we're sitting around shooting the shit i mean there's i couldn't even begin to remember all the names i was i had but, which i probably earned all of them you know? <laughs> oh, the fucking dog guy um that's yeah a con- I like, but, I, but I, am, I am i am the text i am the texan uh formerly in a book that uh jimmy hatch wrote that everybody mary heard about touching the dragon um that I guess we'll touch. Well, I guess I'll circle back to the, the name of that book and why I just said that. But so yeah, I'm in a book, and my name in that one is the Texan. <laughs> the Texan, perfect. Um, yeah. So you guys finished this special operations handler course, um, and you don't deploy at this point. So how much more work gets uh, put into spinning you guys up? Oh, I mean, every freaking day from the time we finished that to the time we actually deployed, which was another. Oh, looking back, it's probably seven and a half, eight months that we went back and, you know, and those were, those were important. That was an important time frame. That's where we got to get him, you know, deployment ready. Mega through that course didn't really do that at all, you know, because there's so much command specific things that we do that just aren't the normal, you know, uh, that you couldn't just train for those at that, at that course. So there was right. a lot of that going on. Um, Helicopter stuff, a lot of things that you know we were doing, command specific stuff that is very important for us to get that seven months, you know, workup kind of time frame. Um, so it was it was a good seven months to answer your question. So do you remember the first day? So you had a team leader come out. Um, so do you remember the first day you met the rest of the team and started some of that work with them? God. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you you got to you know you you have to know that. You know, even though you think you've made it and you're being accepted, you're you're fucking not. 
until you've gone out, until you've gone out and you've proven your worth, you know, deployed, you know, on an operation, and and they know that you were there and you're going to be there and that you're you're an asset, they really don't give a fuck about you. I mean, they do, but they don't. I mean, in other words, I mean, they look at you like, you know, you feel like you're the nerd in the room that's just wanting to go shake everybody's hands. That's what I felt like. You know, they look at you like, you know, who's this guy? You know, and it, it was a lot of that feeling. Um, and I understand it because until you've gone out and and you you bled with them and you've done the things that you know in the it happens. There's just not that bond or trust, you know. So yeah. you got to earn. You got to earn that respect. You know, it's not just given. During that time, you started working with the team, um, like as a like as an actual team member. Um, when do you guys officially um, get your workups and head out? I mean, we were doing workups pretty much the whole time, but um, we actually left country. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, like mid. No, mid-April, 09, mid-April, because uh, Captain Phillips happened, you know, right before we deployed. So, right. everybody knows they made a movie out of that one. So, that was um, right before we deployed, and that was my guys that had gone to that one. At what point, uh, so you head over April of 09, um, and uh, at this point, you know, you're a member of the team, you've been training with the guys, um, you've had Remco for, what, Damn, almost a year now. What, ten months, eleven months, or something? something yeah, it's it's it, it's a little a little shy of a year. Okay. So um, at this point, you uh, head over. So can you talk about um, because you know you'd handle the dog um, on the patrol side and the detection side for effectively police work. What was it like heading out on the first operation as a special operations dog handler what was the difference like between that versus a normal patrol dog handler well i mean outside the obvious differences in, in well, the importance yeah. uh, you know um, I, I will tell you that you know that first helicopter ride out you know to the first objective was scary as shit for me and and not because i was scared of getting hurt or getting killed or anything. I was so terrified that either I or my dog was going to fuck something up. You know, I mean, I was so worried about either one of those happening that I was a mess, you know? So and that's what those, the first couple helicopter rides were for me, you know? And I think that was also part of it because, you know, every one of those rides is so unpredictable on how the outcome is going to be. We all know that, you know, right. because shit goes sideways most every time you think it's not going to. Um, so they were very, they were very selective in what, how they utilized us. Cause you know, we had to learn the march in, we had to learn all these different things, you know, these different, you know, requirements for us. Then they weren't just going to throw me to, to the front of the pack and go do a clearance, you know, night one. Right. You know, it was kind of the same thing as, as evaluating me until they thought I was ready. It was, it was just, they were evaluating us until they knew that they were going to put us into a position, you know, where they trust that we'd be able to, to handle what they're putting us in. They didn't just throw us off chasing squirters night one, you know? Yeah. So it was, it was a process, you know? So on those first couple, um, how did the dog do? Even though you were nervous. He did pretty well, honestly, you know, and, and he, he checked me a couple of times. I think he was like, calm down, asshole. I got this, <laughs> you know? 
I mean, really, I mean, I mean, this is being, being honest. I mean, I, I think that a couple of times, I guess, you know, we all know it goes down leash and all other crap. Oh, yeah. You know, even though, even though he wasn't really tethered to me, he was free ranging the most time. He just, that's the best way to sum it up. I mean, he, he, he felt it. And so there was some mistakes made that were probably 99% because of me, you know? Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, he, he was getting it. You know, he was, he was, things were happening. Uh, opportunities were presenting themselves. Uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a nice, timely, uh, chronological fashion, I guess I should say that, you know, you just, it all started clicking, you know? Yeah, for sure. When we had uh, Benny on, he said that when he went through the training program, it was so fast and he, he was struggling, whether he was or wasn't, he felt he was struggling. The speed of the operation and everything was so unbelievably fast. And he said he was so thankful when he got out on deployment uh, because things were actually slower. Um, did you find it to be that way? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, that's one thing I guess we've never really talked about. But, yeah, that makes sense, too. I mean, yeah, it, it is. It, it makes more sense, I guess, is the best way to sum up in my mind. Because the, the command is so front-side focused. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a... a a very volatile machine at all times. There's always things going in a hundred different directions of that command. And at least deployed, you kind of know, you know, either you're going out or you're not, you know, and you've already been watching, you've already been doing your, getting your intel, you already have a kind of situational awareness on what the potential things are. So you're, it's easier to kind of have a mind, a mental um, preparedness for that, you know, versus <laughs> the command is just chaotic, you know. Is there a notable time um, before we get into um, the rescue thing um, that Remco had a great? Do you have a great story about Remco either with a squirter or with a with a with a, uh, a find for um, buried device or anything like that? Uh, Where you like actually like the guys in the team were like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> I'm glad the dog. Yeah, is here. I mean, I, I I'll say that you know. With, putting it in a way that I can say it. Um, yes, to answer your question, yes. There was a time in which we had a, a, a person in the room that was uh, deep in the room, um, and Grimco found them, engaged them, and th that would be the time that they said, okay, now they're ready. Um, so, yeah, he, did, he, he located and found a guy in a, in a room in the dark, obviously, everything we did was pretty much at night, um, and did his job, and he crushed it. And, uh, and I, I was so happy I wanted to go rubbing off <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, it was that kind but of. But I waited. You know? I waited. I'm a professional, so I waited. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I almost, I, I almost did. I almost didn't. You know. <laughs> Excellent. So. Um, yeah. So that that was that was the that was the make or break time. I guess that's when it became, and I probably relaxed after that too. Yeah, I mean, you know, we hear that a lot. A lot of my guys, you know, I just have a kid that just graduated handler school, and he went back to his department in Missouri, and he's called me probably, man, 10 or 15 times, uh, which I don't mind. Um, Paul, if you hear this, I don't care. You can call me whenever you want. But he's calling me about, hey, this is what happened. This is what I said in the report. Is that okay? Should I say this? What should I have done? And, you know, I can tell that, you know, he made it through our handler school, but he's still very, like, am I doing this right? Is everything okay? And he's finally kind of hit his stride a little bit on the detection side. Um, and they're out fucking killing it. But yeah, it always seems like there's that one, like all of my handlers, all the guys that I talk to, and I, they always have like that one moment when they're like, okay, I finally feel like everybody knows what they're doing and everything is clicking. <laughs> right. So, you know, and for me, that was, a, I mean, that was another challenging thing for me 
because, you know, I, I felt that I was, and I, and I still do. I mean, I'm not, without being arrogant, you know, I was a pretty good dog guy, you know, pretty good dog handler. I, you right. know, I was confident in what I was doing, but my reservations and my, you know, apprehensiveness, apprehensive, apprehensiveness out there was solely because I was so worried about fucking up, you know, that, you know, I, I just didn't, I wanted to be somebody that they knew was an asset. And so I was so consumed with that, that part, you know, that, you know, that was what became more important. So, yeah, I mean, I, I get the, the new handler thing. I mean, it's kind of, it's relative, but out there, it was more about me just making sure that, you know, we were valued, you know, and that I had earned my spot kind of thing, you know? Yeah. The same with Rimco. Yeah, I, um, and you probably, our followers know this, you probably don't. Um, I um, worked uh, for a short period of time for the company that has, the uh, regular NSW dog contracts. And so I, I worked as a trainer for uh-huh. the West Coast um, SEAL teams for a little bit. And um, one? It, that, uh, yeah, yeah, I had team one assigned to me. It was end of, end of 2013 into 2014 when I was out there. And I was still shocked. Now, the West Coast program it only was only a couple years old at this point. But um, I was surprised at the the lack of knowledge by some of the guys on, on the team in leadership as to what the dog's capabilities are. Um, so it's nice to hear that you're, you know, you're several years prior to that and the command knows the value and sees the value of the dog. Uh, it's just weird how it never filters. It doesn't filter out. Well, you know, um, we worked, now that you mentioned that, I mean, we did train with some of those guys in uh, 08 and 09. So I know that they were, at least then, you know, starting to integrate, but, you know, without just coming across wrong, you know, the times we did work with them, I did get the real quick sense that they did not really know fully what they had, you know, the capability of utilizing. Or, or they maybe they didn't have the resources to, to use them properly, maybe. I don't know. But that was in 08, 09. Yeah, one of the, um, one of the, uh, we were out on, um, San Clemente Island doing doing a workup and there was a, a scenario that they had for them and they had a guy hiding in the house and they could not find him. And I went to the chief of the team of the platoon. I was like, hey, use the dog to find him. And he's like, why would I do that? He didn't know. <laughs> it's his only fucking job. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> this, was two, this was 2013. I mean, wow. we'd been in wow. combat with dogs for a long time. I was oh, yeah, by yeah. Yeah, that's surprising. It is. All right, so let's get Hello. into let's move into the um, the the big mission here that we that we wanted to talk about. Um, the, okay. You know, all of our listeners, I would say, have heard of Bo Bergdahl. Um, whether they uh, just the name, just this, the mention of his name pisses should piss everybody off. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm most yeah, of our getting my blood going. Yeah. Yeah, most of our types of fans listen here w- would feel that way. Um, a lot of a lot of our listens, listeners have, uh, know who Jimmy Hatch is, and they've read his book. Um, you know, in this business, he's pretty well known. Um, if you haven't, uh, right, right, rightfully so. <laughs> yes. Um, let's get into. So you go on the um, rescue mission of this guy. Uh, who, as it ultimately turns out, was a was a um, a guy who walked off a deserter, and um, originally it wasn't thought that way. 
I think they originally thought maybe well, he was for, captured. It, it, originally, uh, originally, it wasn't publicly put out that way, but originally we knew. I mean, so but the publicly, yeah, originally it was being portrayed as if he just walked off and and just got the capture. But, you know, make no mistake, we knew from the moment he walked off what had happened. And that was the 31st, yeah. I think, of so, uh, June. So, I mean, for a good 10 days, we'd already known mid tracking um, presidential locations for him. So, so even though we know, uh, you know, what he's about, why, what he did, he's still an American. And when they, when the, exactly. when the phone rings, it's your turn to go get him. You're going to, you're going to go get him. Right. I mean, that's, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, so that night, I mean, cause I, I know that Jimmy's already touched on all this, but that night was a, a we had already been spun down on other objectives that your operations we were going to go on because of you know, basically because of, you know, the environmental uh, surroundings at the time were not to our advantage. So, you know, none of them, none of the other objectives warranted us taking those risks. Um, but we got some uh, fresh intelligence location wise on where that we believe the uh, bird was being held at. So the decision was made, well, you know, that we we're going to spin up and we we're going to go get them. You know, and I think Jimmy even mentioned this in the book that, you know, we did sit there. It's a true story that we did. We were sitting there right, you know, pre-op arguing over what helicopter he was going to ride back in, you know, because we all wanted to talk to him, you know, that was seriously. I mean, we, 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 were, we, were, we, we wanted, we wanted to go have a talk with him. We wanted to go get, you know, get him because that was just what was the right thing to do. He's an American, you know, and that was our job, but we all wanted to be the one to have the 30 or 45 minute helicopter ride back with him, you know. Fuck, so that is not a conversation joke, I would want to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the joke the joke was on us, as it turns out, you know. But, yeah. Um, so, so Jimmy was your team leader into it. at this point? No, actually, see, he was the t- one of the team leaders from one of the uh, elements there. Um, we had our own team leader that, you know, over the dogs. So he, we, we would, every night we might be working for a different team leader depending on where they needed, you know, a dog at, as far as where, and that part of the operation, sometimes you go with a couple of dogs. So he had his team and my initial assignment on that night was, I was going to be with another um, squad, but you know, we shit went sideways before we even landed on the ground. And so everything changed. Wait, let's just go ahead and get into the whole thing. And we'll kind of, I'll probably have some questions for you here and there. Okay. All right, so we're mid-flight. We take off from our location, and we were going to be going to one place to meet up with some other, another troop. And in mid-flight, you know, things changed. Um, our uh, troop chief came around and gave us new assignments, and we were landing um, pretty close to the objective, um, pretty much on top of it. Um, so as we were coming in, uh, we started taking fire before we ever got wheels down. And it was it was it was a lot of fire. I mean, we we had people held up in a you know a hut basically and just just letting us have it. So we landed. Jason helicopter landed. We got you know in our tactical formation and just kind of had a firefight for a while until we got that under control. Um, and we were lucky that no nobody got hit during that one because of you know we were sitting ducks for a while, floating buses. Um, and then as we were doing that there was people just running and it was a really spread out 
seen. I mean, more so than some of the other ones that you know been on. But a lot of different buildings, a lot of different you know groups of people, and you know a lot of things happening all at once. So as that firefight developed and finished, it gave enough time for people to be squirting and and who knows doing what. So we as that was ending, that's when Jimmy and his element went moving to go pursue, you know, some people that had been identified as squirters and he came by me and I just went out with him. I just linked up with him because he didn't have a dog with him. So that's how I became, Jimmy became my team leader right then. When I broke off and, and, and we went after the pursuing that we knew there had been some people maneuvering on the objective, but you know, while we were trying to get out there, because it was it was a good distance, it was at least you know a click or two out across you know a lot of train and and other engagements, and um, we had a couple people hiding in the field, and Grimka went in and got a bite on one of them, a deep, real deep, high shoulder like you know, neck bite on an individual. I mean, and he was so driven into it that I mean, I had to go take him off strong, and I was having a hard time doing it. I mean, he was, I mean, he was intent on that bite. Got him off that one, and due to some of the engagements and people being, uh, you know, EKA right there, we had to leave some people to monitor the situation because there was women and children around. So we started off with six, and by the time I got out to where the the squirters were at, we were down to three, and three and a dog, three being me being one of the three, and um, they had taken a fighting position. I could see him coming across the you know, field, and they were like, I can only see that coming the waist up. And, and of course, they were like bigger males, you know, wearing their man dresses. Um, so we couldn't identify, you know, if they had weapons or not. And we also couldn't identify if one of them was a bird doll or not. So, I mean, we were, we were in a kind of a crappy situation because we were pretty much exposed and we couldn't call for. We couldn't use any other means. We couldn't blow just blow them up, basically. You know, we had to go make sure that, you know, one of them wasn't, you know, our objective. And uh, the decision was made to to move forward. And, and right when we did that is when just, I mean, all hell broke was, you know, the automatic AK started rattling off. And I sent Remco out to, to attack them. Right. No, this is all happening quick, but I sent him out and then Jimmy gets shot right next to me. And uh, we're, we're pretty close. We're probably in 12 to 15 feet from them at this point. And I mean, it's just a, a phenomenal fireworks show going on in my mind. You know, I just always see the sparks and I see things I'm hearing. The, well, anybody that's ever been shot at and had one go by their head, they know what that sounds like. And I had a few of those going by and it was just all matrix ish you know for that that brief time but uh jimmy's shot uh, remco's within a couple feet he's getting ready to crest this little you know culvert that they were kind of dug into like a little trench and as soon as he crest the top of it he's, he just took a round to his head and he came spinning back out like actually two rounds i mean it was just his automatic fire and he just i mean literally came flying back out three to four feet back out and you know, I just had a feeling of emotions that I had not ever experienced before. <laughs> and um, I just continued going right towards them. 
um, Jimmy's already down and there's sparks going off and it looked to me like sparklers or you know and I later found out they were grenades um, that didn't register at the time um, and I went up and made sure the fight was over and uh, I grabbed Rimko and drug him back close to where Jimmy was and uh, by that time there's some guys that had been able to get over to him and he had taken a round is anybody here that's already familiar with it I mean it was, it was pretty bad it blown up back of his leg and severed his femoral artery. So, of course, the, uh, the main concern there was the life-saving techniques that were had to be done to, to Jimmy. And once we got the tourniquet on him, I just held cover because there's still active bombs going off this whole time, and there's still active engagements across this whole area. So that wasn't the only thing going on where we were at, you know. So uh, once... A couple more people were able to get there. I went to go try to start working on Remco's. And I started cutting his vest off. And, uh, you know, we're still dark. You know, we're still red light. There's there's no way that we could go white light yet. So I'm just trying to establish an airway. And as I'm doing that, um, one of the helicopters came back in and grabbed us in the middle of all that mess. It was, it was I mean, they had to have really let it hang to come get us out of that. And they did. So... Jimmy, I, and another shooter, well, Jimmy was carried and assisted onto the, the helicopter, and I carried Remco and another shooter. We got on the helicopter and headed to uh, the closest medical triage available. So that was it. It's I, I've read, like, right after the Bergdahl trial stuff, um, I read an article, that an interview that you had given, um, and I think in that article you said... You, it was almost as if you felt they knew you were coming. The way the volume of fire was so quick, it, like it's before you're even landing the helicopter. Uh, when you think oh, back yeah. to it now, that's still the opinion. Yeah, and it's, I mean, there's, yeah, it is. But and there's another part of those final moments that I didn't really go into that that are that haunt me. And, and most dog people out there will get this one. You know, keeping in mind everything had gone up up until the point where we took a knee right before uh, those final moments. You know, Rimka was, I mean, just super driven. I mean, he'd been through a lot. And, and in those final moments, right before I sent him out, before that final gunfight, um, before that happened, you know, I looked down at Rimko real quick, and he was just staring at me with this, this solemn look that haunts me to this day because... I'd swear to you that he knew that things were about to go bad because he had never, ever, out of all the things we've been through, you know, had that, that behavior. You know, looking back, that, to me, you know, I'm convinced that, you know, he knew this was different, you know? So, yeah, that's one of those ones that, it's, it's, you know, we know our dogs, you know, and, we, and after we've been through that kind of stuff with them nightly, you know, something that's going to be so remarkably different is going to stand out, and, and that happened that night. And of course, you know, that was it. You know, so that stands out more than anything. We interviewed Dave Nielsen, um, Pepper's handler, um, that night that Pepper was lost. He said the same thing when he was, he said, you know, he sent her into that, um, down into the, into the river where that dude was hiding in that hole. And he said, you know, she turned around and looked at me and, he said yep. almost the same thing you did, and he was like, she'd never done that before. And, like, she turned around and took off, you know, do her job. But um, That's exactly 
exactly what happened. So yep. um, you guys get back to the helicopter um, with Jimmy and with Remco. Um, and Jimmy, since recovered, had, well, had effectively ended his career. He had, what, like 18, 19 surgeries or something. Um, right. his, his life was ultimately was saved. Do you think that uh, Remco saved you guys that night? Oh, there's no, no doubt. I mean, I mean, that's not even, I mean, it's not even a question in my mind. A hundred percent because they were, they were spraying and, and they, they had us, they knew where we were at. It wasn't like they couldn't see us. I mean, and they kind of baited us in, I almost think. I mean, they, they waited until, you know, they, they had the best you know chance to probably take us out as quickly as they could. But Rimco messed up that plan and they took the fire off of us long enough you know, for us to get some effective ones in there, you know, so yeah. it was us or them, and and Remco was the was the only thing that made it at least where it wasn't at least one or two of us that you know got carried off there. Well, one other thing is after they went and did their SSC afterwards, came back to you know do all the evaluation of all the the battlefield. I can tell you this: that those guys had a, a enough. Uh, explosives and RPGs and grenades and stuff that they do to have done a lot of damage. So they weren't just two guys in a field with two AKs. They had a lot more with them. So yeah. Typical of guys like you that that um, do that kind of job. Um, you da- downplay your role in it. You know um, when you get up to you had to fight your way to Remco, shooting these guys from you know like 10, 15 feet away. Um, heroic stuff that ultimately eventually gets you uh, awarded a silver star. But um, is it, so when he goes down, is it a, like you knew you had to move forward to fire or was it, I got to go get that dog? Was it, you, you know what I mean? I'm trying to put this into, <laughs> I, I in, think it was just both those. heads. Yeah, I mean, cause when, when I mentioned it, there's a range of emotions that came over me. I mean, it's really hard to describe. It was, how fucking dare you? You know, really, is the best way to say I mean, I, 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 it, was, it was indescribable, the fury I had for the fact that they had just shot my buddy. They just shot my dog, and they're, shooting, they're trying to get me. And it's just like, I, I, I know, I just went in kind of a, you know, disbelief, I guess. And, I mean, it, you, know, you know, you know, fuck you, I'm going to win this, you know. But so, I mean, that's kind of, I guess, the best way to answer that, you know. Yeah, we, you know, we oftentimes in training try to get, um, we tell guys that, you know, if you if you have to send the dog and you're in the firefight, you know, you need you need to focus on your shooting and everything and, and not really get so tunnel vision on your dog. Is that bullshit? Is that impossible? Like you're gonna it's follow, not, watch what the dog does. Yeah, well, it's it's it, it's. I mean, I don't know what everybody's answer that would be, but for me. It's impossible for not to worry about my dog. You know, that's impossible. But you know, that night, I mean, he wasn't in the field of fire anymore. You know, you know, he was thrown back well out of the. I mean, and it all happens. You know how fast stuff happens. It was all it was super evolving quickly. <laughs> so, you know, so the, the the targets of opportunity were a lot more clear quickly without having to worry about you know him i guess so after that um 
you guys end up coming back. Um, how long did you stay in country? Did you come home right then? I don't know. I stayed. I, uh, I mean, there's another really one of my best friends uh, worked the dog Cairo on the Bin Laden op. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned, I mentioned that because, uh, our, you know, we were deployed together and Cairo got shot at deployment, um, right after Runco, like a week after. So I, I met them in Bagram when I flew Cairo back to Lonsdale. Um, and I'm not trying to take any thunder away from the book that's coming out cause I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure that's going to be probably in it. But, uh, so yeah, I, I took a, I got, it turns out I got like a week and a half break from the madness right after Runco got killed to go help out another a teammate, another dog, came back, back out in the theater, and I worked a, a couple of the dogs out there, and I was in theater till the latter part of September. Um, I got injured on an operation. I ended up breaking my neck and back. Um, I've now had, to date, I've had nine surgeries, so um, that you know, after that, I was no longer good to be a cool guy. Anyways, so um, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. My favorite thing to do with dogs is decoy, you know, and, and I, I I can't do it now, or I shouldn't do it now, and that it irritates the crap out of me, you know. I should. So, Aha! See? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I shouldn't, but I yeah, I will. <laughs> I mean, I absolutely will. I 100% will, you know, and that's how dumb I am. Um, so I was out in theater till. Latter part of September to answer your question. So back home, um, I, I I don't know what kind of um, in that command what they can do as far as honors go for the dog, what the process is. Because again, like you said, you're still fighting. You still have to go jump on another dog. Um, what uh, was the reception and what, what happens back home with? It's one thing that I mean. It, the command is, is just amazing, really, in, in, in almost every regard. Um, they value 100%. Every one of them value the dogs, and the dogs are not just a tool. So the respect for the loss of a dog is very high, you know. So, I mean, they have their own memorial over there, and, and it's not taken lightly when we lose one of them, you know. And so the reception, I mean, but sadly, I mean, you know the story. The, the, the attrition rate for dogs going to combat, you know, those, those numbers suck, you yeah. know, with us. So it's not like it doesn't, it hasn't happened before, and it's happened many times since, you know. So it, it's just, it's sad to say, you know, it, it, business as usual, you know. I mean, because no matter how many shitheads were killed one night, doesn't, I mean, there's always going to be more the next, you know, in the next hour. I mean, so we have to always be ready for that next hour. So, you know, yeah, there, were, there was a lot of respect and a lot of, you know, proper things done for the loss of Remco, but yet we still had a fight going on, you know? So it was a matter of getting the force multipliers back out there and making sure they were ready. And that was just always the mission. Man, that's, um, you know, and ultimately um, that dude was recovered. I've read the interviews and I, and I have read parts of um, some of the stuff that's been out. And everybody kind of feels like that was a, like you said, you thought that it was almost like they knew you were coming, um, that there was bad intelligence given. Or it was almost a needless type deal, but Remco did save you guys. And uh, without a doubt, you know, the story is, is very common um, among dogs in that field. 
um, several times. Um, a friend of mine handled uh, a really well-known dog, um, Benno, um, and the Rangers. And Benno had he had tons of fucking stories about that dog. Um, some of them were funny about him falling off the roof of houses in the dark and turning around, the dogs being gone. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah, I've so. got some funny ones. Yeah, I mean, I can I can do that all day, but that's gonna take a lot longer. And y'all wanna y'all wanna put on here. Plus, I don't well, want to make myself look too bad. Right. But yeah, I usually most of those funny stories, you know, involve me being something, doing something really stupid. You know, so <laughs> well, it's still a dog. No matter what, yeah, at the yeah. end of the day, he's still a dog. He yeah. still looked their own ass and he catch it, no matter how well trained they are. Yeah. So. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you get out of the Navy, um, and now you're training dogs. You're up in, yeah, uh, I'm training dogs now. I am in Cincinnati right now. Currently geographically, I'm working, uh, as a director of operations for bulletproof dog training. Um, I was contacted by the owner, which is somebody that I met in the Navy back in Guam, you know, back in 1997, as we were talking about earlier. And we stayed in contact and, uh, he got out and he started his own business and he called me at the right time because you know, after I got out in June of 11, I went right into a full-time job in the police department there in the San Antonio area. And I've been doing that since I got out. I was just really over that and tired of it. And he's called at the right time. And I I will quit the resign from the department in January this year and moved up here and I've, I've, I've taken this position. And um, we have a location in San Antonio with some trainers just doing some obedience stuff. And we have plans on, you know, spreading out and opening facilities in, in different areas, but, you know, baby steps. Uh, how many years did you do at the police department? Uh, I did almost nine at the department that I retired out of. I did a total of 16 and a half commission in the state because, you know, I was a reservist for the first several years after 02 with another department in South Texas. Um, and then, of course, I was the reservist that was never there after I left Texas, you know, so it was, this agency kept my commission for me and kept it, you know, active with all the requirements that I got away from because I was deployed to, to combat zones. So it took some managerial work to keep my license in that kind of state. So I felt kind of a dedicated loyalty and came back and worked for them post military until I just had enough. So it was active, active full-time police officer, almost nine years in total, almost 16 and a half. I get the, I understand the whole feeling of, of being sick of it. And getting yeah. over it, and moving on. That's it's a hard decision, man. I don't regret it. Yeah, it sounds like the same thing. When we interview all these guys that get out, and everybody says the same thing. They're like, "Yeah, it was hard to do, but uh, I wouldn't. I'm not going back." <laughs> so you know, would you honestly, yeah. honestly, to, to to be fully honest, it was probably one of the easiest things I've done. I mean, once I made the decision, that's what I was going to do. It was just such a weight lifted, and I, I mean, I've, I've I've felt better since I walked in and put my two weeks in. I just physically have felt better and mentally. So, yeah. It was it was the right thing for me. I'm glad I did it. Now you just got to try to see if you can't get him to open up bulletproof dog training in Texas. Well, he, we're going to. He, like I said, we have two trainers there, but we're gonna <laughs> uh, we have sites on there. I'll get a facility down there. I mean, because you know Texas is a big state. I know this great Benny's down there. He's doing great. You know, and I would never, you know, think of anything as the brother that I love. And so I would, he would never be my, you know, I would never want to do him wrong or become something he had to worry about. So I'm not saying I'm going to try to impede on what he's doing. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have dogs that you know, want to get them trained. So there's enough for everybody. That's what I was going to say. Texas so, is a big state with a lot of dogs. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yep. So, yeah, we, I'm here now, and um, we're on Facebook. We're also on Instagram. We're trying to step up our social media presence. So anybody listening, please come follow us and check us out. Um, we'd appreciate it. That's uh, It's on Facebook. I just found it. It's Bulletproof Dog Training. 
Um, yeah, I go look them up. Yeah, the Instagram for Ohio is the Bulletproof Dog Training 519. Um, you'll see it. Uh, we just had a good event that was going to happen at the end of this month that got canceled because of good old coronavirus. My buddy Will, the one that wrote the book for a Cairo, was coming up. Um, Spike's Canine Fund, which everybody on here probably already knows, is Jimmy's Foundation. We were all doing a little event together that was uh, going to go off on the 28th, but now that's been put off by the the lovely government here. Um, so, okay, you guys listening, please stay tuned because we're going to get it rescheduled. And uh, definitely like to see, especially anybody that's listening to this podcast, come out and join us when we get that together. Because she's will be or will should be there to be able to sign his books by then because it comes out April twenty first I think. Excellent, yeah. So oh, hell, that's an easy drive for me. Yeah, it's just yeah. down the road. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Eric, where are you at? Van S K nine on Instagram, uh, Van S K nine Academy on Facebook, and um, on Patreon we are Working Dog Radio. And um, yeah, how about you? Uh, Ted underscore Summers on Instagram, and then uh, Torchlight K9, letter K number nine, is the kennel side. Uh, that's where people can see what I'm doing when I'm not hosting this, or we're not an HRD, which uh, is basically yelling at handlers um, <laughs> or yelling at dogs. One of the two. Um, yeah, so outside of that, uh, oh, yeah, also we got working underscore dog underscore radio uh, for the podcast. And then we've also got the Patreon. Um, one of the things everybody's asked me and you a lot is um, to post. Uh, they want to see the presentations that I give, that you and I give for um, HRD and that we give it like hits and Bravo 3 uh, and Blue Line. So I converted them into videos. Uh, the only thing you're going to miss is me telling jokes or Eric telling stories. So to get those, you got to come to HRD or come to one of the seminars, which we will be at. The next one is going to be in uh, Pittsburgh. Um, as of now, Blue Line says that they are not going to cancel. So we're still on for April and Blue Line. Um, so come see us at Blue Line. Get on to Patreon, sign up, look for Working Dog Radio, and you can find those. Uh, I'm going to upload that one. I did a tactical tracking seminar for um, a sheriff's office here in Oklahoma. Uh, that was integrating a dog, um, and I'll put that one up. And then I'm also going to put up the one for that we're going to use uh, at our HRD decoy seminars, um, and goes through all that stuff on the front end of those. So I'll have, to have all the videos and all that stuff on it. So yeah, um, head over there, check it out, Patreon.com. Uh, outside of that, Mike, this has been awesome, man. Um, it's been a great episode, and, and I we super appreciate you uh, sitting down and taking the time to talk to us. I I really appreciate you guys having me, and uh, I, I also want to add one more thing for everybody listening. Sure. Please come. Even though I'm not a big social media person, but I do have a Rimco uh, page on Instagram that I'm trying to do. I got a couple other things I'm working on to keep Rimco's name going. So please come follow me on Rimco at Rimco the War Dog um, on Excellent. Instagram. Yeah, we'll have uh, we'll have we'll put that in the show notes. So everybody on the IG, go follow it. Um, I think I do. Yeah, I do. And yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, it's, yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, everybody, go check it out. Uh, we'll put all that link stuff in the, in the uh, show notes. Though. But yeah, Mike, man, it's been awesome. We appreciate it. Uh, it's been great. I look forward to meeting you guys in person, having a beer with you or whatever. If they ever lift the, the freaking curfew or whatever they got going. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so everybody else listening to this, uh, wash your fucking hands. So yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> don't talk. Don't, don't lick doorknobs <laughs> and don't lick windows. Uh, yeah, so awesome. <laughs> wash your hands and lick windows. My mom's going to be yeah. so proud of me. Uh, excellent. So <laughs> everybody, we'll talk to you soon. We appreciate it. Our oldest sponsor, our first sponsor, and our good friend and a great dude all around, Arno at ALM Canine Equipment. 
his suits and his canine tugs and bite sleeves are some of the best in the industry. His dude, I have a whole array of different uh, hidden sleeves from him of all various levels of dogs. Uh, he has a discount code for us, which is amazing. WD Radio for 10% off your first order. ALMK9Equipment.com. Give him a give him a shout, man. Arno is a good guy with great quality equipment. ALMK9Equipment.com. One of the original three sponsors that have been with us from the beginning is Tripwire Operations Group, LLC. They're an internationally recognized leading provider of products, services, and training for federal, state, local, and law enforcement agencies and military units. They are ATF licensed for explosive material manufacturer, importer, exporter, and dealer with a wide range of explosive products to offer, including custom kits. These kits are great for detection canine imprinting, and they have three different kits to choose from. These three kits combined create the complete picture for ex- the explosive threats of canines. Be sure to check them out, tripwireops.org. The music in this episode is used with permission by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at Brother Deeg, that's spelled D-E-G-E dot net. Be sure to check him out there or on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or anywhere you stream media. This episode has been edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt. Visit our other sites at patreon.com, look for Working Dog Radio, hrdpolicecanine.com, and look for the nearest seminar near you. You got your reasons, I got my wants, still got that feeling, but I'm too Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.